This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 17. Episode 6. This is Writing Excuses, hitting reset without getting hit back. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Howard. I'm Kayla. I'm Sandra. And I'm Meg. And we are talking about resetting expectations. We are talking about breaking promises and then making new ones without actually betraying the trust of the, of the, the audience. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example of this. And it's possible that the good example may be Million Dollar Baby, which <laughs> breaks a promise to the audience. This is a sports movie by giving us a third act that shows that it's actually a, a drama about, about euthanasia, about, um, yeah, it's very dramatic and it's not very, it's not very sports movie. And as we pointed out when we mentioned it earlier, it's got a 90% fresh rating from critics and audiences over at Rotten Tomatoes. And maybe part of this is because it's 15 years old, um, but it won a lot of awards and it did great grossing in theaters. And it was something which broke promises that audiences felt had been made to them and then delivered something different, but delivered it so well that the majority of the audiences put up with it. They accepted it. They, they loved it. They came out of the theater. I don't want to say happy, but uh, having experienced something amazing, which is what the filmmakers set out to do. Um, so let's, let's talk about that. What are some examples of things where you feel like the expectations have had to be reset and they did it well. Well, I think that uh, personally, for me, uh, there are two main there are two main movies that come to mind for this, and one is Kung Fu Panda Two, which is one of my favorite movies ever, and How to Train Your Dragon for different reasons, but both of them playing with expectations. I think Kung Fu Panda Two does multiple things with your expectations. For one, um, it kind of gives you an origin story again, except it's deeper, it's bigger. It's you're like, whoa, I didn't think I was going to get this from a Kung Fu Panda franchise. <laughs> you know? um, but I think that's the other thing is tonally, uh, it's it's a lot harder. It's a lot, it, it's more explorative of pain, of destruction, of trauma, of working out issues, like heavier themes than the first one. Um, like the first one had a good heart still, um, but the second one just really dives in there in a way that you wouldn't have expected. But at the same time, I was not like, why is my fun movie sad? <laughs> when I watched it, I was like, oh my gosh, they're, they they do a great job of acclimatizing you. You know, they start out fun and everything too, but they do a job, good job of acclimatizing you to this is going to be a bit heavier of a movie. It's still going to be an amazing adventure, but it's going to be more emotionally in-depth than the first one without losing you. I don't know anybody who was lost with Kung Fu Panda 2. I think I know most people just sat there stunned in an awe instead, <laughs> not disappointed. 
Yeah, I was kind of slack-jawed. I, I was, wow, how do they do that? Usually the origin story has to come first, <laughs> and the two movie is a raising of stakes and a new adventure, but you managed to raise the stakes and give me a new adventure and give me an origin story, yes. and, and wow, it's it seems to defy... It seemed to defy the number yeah. two, uh, which was which was yeah pretty cool. Meg, um, I so I actually have an example of something that that did it badly that raised my expectations and then and okay. then turned it on its head, and it's the anime Attack on Titan, uh-huh. um, which is about humanity fighting to survive when they are constantly attacked by huge giants referred to as titans, and we have our very strong. Uh, protagonist character who's going to get revenge on all the Titans and he's going to save the world. And they killed him off seven episodes in. And I was like, amazing. I love this. Now his meek sidekick character is going to have to step into his shoes and become the new protagonist. And no protagonist came back magically and with magic (laughs) powers and so magical now. And I was like, man, I mean, that's cool and all, but what she died. Yeah. <laughs> you wanted those? Why couldn't you stay dead? Why couldn't you stay dead? Um, as I, I categorize these in, in our outline, um, I, uh, I talk about yes and, which is a raising of expectations, making new promises while keeping old ones. And I feel like yes and is the easiest of expectation reset because really all you're doing is raising the bar. It's not like you've broken promises. No, but is the next one. And that's the, that's the actual reset where you had to make promises by breaking early ones. Yes. I know I promised you a sports movie, but I'm going to give you an amazing cinematic experience. That's going to touch your soul. And you wouldn't have come into the theater to watch this anyway, but it's important. And, and, Thank you, everybody, and I'll take my Oscar now. Um, I may be projecting a little bit. Um, And the third category is what I call, oh, crap. And it's the one where I felt like I most often lived in Schlock Mercenary, which is the discovery that you've broken a promise, but only after it's too late to fix things. Um, You know, I I foreshadowed something and got the technology wrong. Oh, crap. Oh, crap. I can't actually make that work. What do I do instead? Um, so in these three categories, what are what are our strategies? I remember watching, oh, it was decades ago. It was a making of Indiana Jones uh, documentary. So it was like one hour long, the making of show. And listening to uh, Steven Spielberg talk about how when they're writing the scripts, they would actually literally paint themselves into a corner. You know, the opening sequence, Indiana Jones has just run from the boulder and tumbled out. And now he is standing trapped facing a circle of spears. And there is literally no way to get out. And Spielberg basically says, well, what you do when you've painted yourself into a corner is quickly duck and dash your way through the red paint and hope nobody notices the footprints. <laughs> you go. Um, which is pretty much what that movie does. And there may be better tools for this, but honestly, um, you know, I think of like the Pirates of the Caribbean, I think it's five 
that begins with we're dragging an entire building through the middle of town using a horse-drawn cart. Um, yes. And and it is absolutely, completely, and totally ridiculous. But basically, what it's saying is this is the movie you're getting. If you're not on board, just go ahead and leave the theater now. Um, and so if you have to reset, anytime you have to reset expectations, you're going to lose some audience. You're going to shed some audience who don't make the turn with you. That's just normal and expected. If you need to make the turn, make the turn anyway. Telegraph it as much as you can so that people are ready for that moment. Okay, we all need to lean to the right. Lean to the right so we can make this turn. And now the wheels are back on the ground and we can keep going. There were a lot of turns in that scene where they were yeah. dragging the, the whole the bank building. through the village. <laughs> and as I recall, they lost all of the money. Yes, they lost the entire building. In the course of doing that. Yeah, nice, good good yeah. choice of scenes. Yeah. Nice <laughs> metaphor. Well played. Yeah. Bravo. Um, there's something, especially in long-running television series, where mm. in between seasons, they will reset. And so it's always sad sometimes when you come back into a season and these characters are now gone. And, oh, no, the set where they spent all their time, that's different now. They're going to spend all their time here instead. And sometimes writers' rooms will literally just reset the world and which characters we have, and we just never mention it. Yeah. <laughs> but, and that becomes part of the expectation of watching a long-running show. You just mm -hmm. kind of know uh, that there's going to be a reset. Um, a well, let me sorry. Let me interrupt you there. That's the experience of someone who has watched lots of long-running right. shows. Right. Yes. There are plenty of people who watch a long-running show for the first time, and as those things happen, they're like, "No." Yeah. <laughs> no, because they feel like they've been betrayed. An excellent reset to examine is um, the movie Serenity versus the TV show Firefly. Because you had this TV show that only ran for a very short time and then it was canceled. And then you have this gap of time and then they make a movie. And in order to, which is actually a jump in media. It's you, a, a movie is a different medium than a TV show, which meant that there are different expectations, different language you can use. And in order to make that shift, they had to, do some reset. And the one that, that I, that jarred me the most was that by the, by the end of the run of the show, um, the doctor character had kind of become reconciled with the captain character as we're family. And when they start the movie, there's a lot more friction between them. And it's more like the beginning of the show than the end of the show. And they had to do that reset in order to give the proper arcs to the movie, because the movie had to be able to stand alone as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so it jarred me as a watcher of the show. But once I was like, eh, it, it was not so jarring that I was knocked out and walked away. I was like, eh, I don't like that, but okay, take me along for this ride. So... Um, as an example for the no but resetting expectations, Avatar The Last Airbender did that to me in like the third season, like mm. the day of Black Sun, because they really built up to it, you know, and I was watching this as a kid at the time, you know, about 13 ish. 
Um, and I was like, oh, it's finally happening. And we've had seasons building up to this day. And they really built up to it in those moments, too, where they're like, we're really, this is the day we lay siege on the Fire Nation. It's the eclipse that we we risked all our lives to find information about in the previous season. You know, this is it. Uh, and it's a two-parter and everything. So I was like, oh, it's, it's, it's finally going down. We're going to take down the Fire Nation. Um, and it doesn't. It does not pan out. They fail the invasion because they already knew and were already ready and just gone. And they're shocked and like terrified. And I was too. I was like, what? But what they did was a great job in that because otherwise it could have felt just really deflated where you're like, well, great. Okay. That was a, what did we spend all this time for then? But what they give you is a bunch of other things that you really wanted and needed. Like most particularly the Zuko storyline carries out the the days of black sun um two part having zuko come in and that's the moment where he decides to defect from the fire nation and help the avatar make his new plan to take down his dad like that ends up making the story worthwhile so no i didn't get like the big climax that i was really prepared for but i got zuko's storyline intersecting finally and his big moment of character change you can argue that we set out to defeat the fire nation and we got the victory we didn't expect, which was turning yes. Zuko. And so you can you can make the argument that you actually fulfilled the promise. And I think that's part of how you make no but work is that you take the new thing that you've handed them and say, by the way, this actually fulfills all of your other expectations. Uh, trust, I'm just going to paint it. I'm just going to paint it red so that it looks like what you were. <laughs> yeah. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Uh, and each trick. We need to have a book of the week or a thing of the week. And I think Meg's got it. I have a thing of the week that uh, also ties up a lot of the things that we've been talking about in all the other episodes. This is a Korean drama that I originally watched on WB's drama streaming service, which no longer exists. But you can purchase the show on DVD, which I have. Um <laughs> The show is called Circle the Two Worlds or Circle the Connected World, depending on your your translation. But every episode is two completely different stories. The first half of the episode takes place in 2017. The other half takes place in the far future. And the 2017 story is about these twin brothers who are going to university and there's some strange things going on and they're investigating it. And it's a a smaller story about brothers investigating a mystery. And the future story is 
high sci-fi and there's this, you know, town where you can only live if there's a chip implanted in your brain that regulates your emotions and there's no pain and there's no fear and there's no crime. And it's about a police detective who is trying to investigate an alleged murder that's happened inside the perfect city, but the guards won't let him in. Um, But it turns out he has a second motive to get in there. He believes there's evidence about two twin brothers who disappeared back in 2017. So it's these two completely different stories, completely different genres. And it, you've got expectations set up for how these kinds of stories work. And it's slowly about how these two storylines tie back into each and influence each other. Circle the connected world. Sounds yeah. cool. That sounds it's really cool, cool. And I wish I had it on a streaming service <laughs> right now. Um, uh, Howard, I have my DVDs here in Utah. They could end up at your house on accident <laughs> or purpose at Ooh. some point in time. Well, see, now you're making all of our listeners terribly, terribly <laughs> jealous, which just doesn't seem like a fair thing to do. Um, early on in Schlock Mercenary, um, I was writing I mean, the, the, the design principles for Schlock Mercenary were I am not making fun of science fiction in my science fiction comic. The comedy will come from other things. Um, But it was very newspaper humor, you know, dad joke type stuff would have fit right in, in, you know, the age of people collecting newspapers, but uh, this was a web comic. Um, About two years in, um, in the, the Terraport Wars begin and the stories begin getting bigger and Brandon Sanderson wrote the introduction for the, for book two, the Terraport Wars and, and said, um, this is the book where schlock mercenary figures out what it wants to be when it grows up. Um, and it very much, this was not a thing that I did consciously. It certainly wasn't a thing I did expertly, but it was a thing I did. I had an existing audience, an existing brand and I decided to take them from a quick, episodic, you know, fast beats sort of story to a much longer form story. And I got lucky in that, I guess, the audience was so small to begin with that, you know, when it grew, we didn't notice that we lost anybody. But uh, uh, this was definitely a case of something which, at the time I began creating it, was one thing, and at the time I finished it, it was very much something else, even though you still have this blob character and mercenaries, you know, running through the running You through had the insist from the fact that webcomics are expected to evolve, so there's a genre expectation that there will be evolution, which totally assisted in the redirect, which... Yeah, that is the that, that is what we called the low expectations <laughs> of audiences watching yes. amateurs. Yes, that. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Good times. Um wow, yeah. are we really already 19 minutes in? Um what else can we say? I had a there we just need the can of worms this part. The whole career level can of worms of how do you rebrand yourself, you know, after Spending 20 years as a cartoonist, um, whatever I go do next, how do I 
keep the promises of my old brand that's, or break them in such that's a way. An I don't can know. Of worms. I think we just need to. That's a like that's another can of worms. part. Slap a lid on that <laughs> and uh, say, thing. "Whoops, can't cover it." <laughs> Oops, sorry. Okay. Yes. Are we ready for homework? Homework. And you are giving us the homework okay. this time. I am. I am. In the first episode, I talked about how this this intensive was, you know, expectations and promises and how I didn't call it eight expectations because that would have forced me to drill down and to configure the content in such a way that there were eight discrete elements covered across seven episodes plus an idiot. It was a headache. Your homework is to fulfill the promise that I decided not to make because I would have broken it. Call this intensive Call this discussion we've had over these last eight episodes, eight expectations. And for you, for your toolbox, write down eight different categories in which promises and expectations can be used as structural elements, as troubleshooting elements, as critical elements, as career elements, um, laying over all of the other tools that you use, that we all use, when we write, when we create. So there's your homework. Write the thing that I was either not smart enough or in too much of a hurry to write, the course outline for eight expectations. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production. Your hosts for this episode were Howard Taylor, Kayla Rivera, Sandra Taylor, and Megan Lloyd. This episode was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr. and mastered by Alex Jackson. The liner notes and transcripts for this episode are available at writingexcuses.com. To learn more about us, visit patreon.com slash writingexcuses. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.